Let's open our Bibles together this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are pausing our series through 1 John this week since we are observing the Lord's Supper. I've not brought a message on the Lord's Supper in quite a while and I felt a pastoral need to do so. There are things in this passage that we need to consider and we need to take them to heart. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is not something that we should do flippantly without thinking or haphazardly. Coming to the Lord's table is not something that should be done out of routine. This is as serious as it gets in the house of the Lord. God Almighty ordained three institutions, the family, the church, and civil government. The family is to be a ministry of education. Civil government is to be a ministry of justice. And the church is to be a ministry of grace. Who did God give the Lord's Supper to out of those institutions? He gave them to the church. He gave it to be to the church, to be administered by the under-shepherds of the great shepherd. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful act of worship that binds the Lord Jesus Christ to His church and the individual believer to His or her Lord. And it is to be done with the greatest of sobriety. I pray that each of you have been preparing your hearts all week long to come to the Lord's table. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is one of the greatest privileges we have as believers on this side of heaven. And we want to come to the table in a manner that he, in the manner that he demands. After all, it is his table. He built it. He is the table. He is the reason we celebrate it. He is represented in the elements. The Lord's Supper is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it should be adhered to in the manner in which he says. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to read to your hearing verses 23 through 32. And our, communicate, our communion meditation this morning is entitled, Come to the Table Rightly. Come to the Table Rightly. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Hear now the word of the true and living God. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that all flesh is as grass. And the glory of man is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of our God endures forever. And Father, we have just heard and read your word. Father, I pray that in the time that we have together, that you would empty me of myself, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak to your people this day, that we give great consideration to this high privilege that we have before us and examining ourselves and appreciating the great sacrifice that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. These verses are all about the Lord's Supper. A church family coming together on a regular basis to take the Lord's Supper just like we do. One of the accurate thermometer readings of the spiritual temperature in any church is its attitude toward the Lord's Supper. How a local church treats the Lord's Supper speaks volumes about the spiritual condition of that local church. A church that is passionate for Christ will be passionate in coming to the Lord's table and being reminded yet again of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for us. Only a carnal church will be weary of coming to the Lord's table. A church that is apathetic towards Christ will be irregular in its coming to the Lord's table. The same thing can be applied to the individual, just, it is, just as it is to the local church as a whole. I can remember as a boy attending church with my grandfather, the church that he attended observed the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. And he told me that on those Sundays, attendance would often be down. That's a sad state when people would avoid coming to the Lord's table. And we're going to consider this morning how important it is to come to the table rightly. How not to abuse and misuse the elements of the Lord's table. How not to pervert the table. But one should not see the Lord's Supper as something to be avoided. If a person is avoiding the Lord's Supper, there's something wrong there. There's something that is not right there. If, a, if you are growing in your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus Christ, then you should be excited to be able to come to the table that the Lord Jesus Christ prepared on your behalf. This was at the heart of the problem with the church in Corinth. When they gathered uh, to the Lord's table, they came in a manner that revealed they were not walking in the spirit, but rather they were walking in the flesh. When they got together, there were petty differences. There were divisions. There were abuses of the elements, and consequently, Paul must write to them on how to come rightly to the Lord's table. This is very practical for us, and I want to take this, this passage, and I've divided it into three points, the ordinance, the ominous, and the opportunity. Point number one, we see the ordinance, verses 23 through 26. Look at it again. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do 
in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat or drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Where did we get this from? Well, the answer's there in the first part of, chat, of verse 23. The Lord's Supper along with baptism make up the two ordinances that the church has been given by the Lord Himself. An ordinance is defined as a command or an order. The Lord Jesus commands His church to baptize its members and to partake of the Lord's Supper. So what is the Lord's Supper? This, is, this comes from, the 16, from chapter 28 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. It says, The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by Him the same night wherein He was betrayed, to be observed in His churches unto the end of the world, for the perpetual remembrance and showing to the world the sacrifice of Himself and His death, to display the confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits thereof, their spiritual nourishment and growth in Him, their further engagement in Him, and to all duties which they owe to Him. And it is to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with Him and with one another. The Lord Jesus was entering into His passion. And we are told in Luke chapter 22 and verse 15 that He wanted to celebrate the Passover with His disciples one final time before His death. And in the midst of that celebrating of Passover, Jesus gave it new meaning. So let's walk through these first uh, three verses of our text. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. So we get it from the Lord, directly from Christ. And he took bread and he had given thanks and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The bread is symbolic of the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. A body that was broken on our behalf. A body that was broken, that was tortured, that was mangled. I'm reminded of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah where it says that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced through for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. That is what the bread represents. Instead of the wine representing the blood upon the doorpost like it did on the night of the Passover, now the Lord Jesus says that it represents His blood. His blood that washes away our sin. As it says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, that though your sins be like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, should be his wool. That's what the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ does that is represented in the cup. That is represented in the cup. It, 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 it is the, his blood which is shed, which was shed for the remission of sins. What is this new covenant? What is this new covenant that, that Jesus speaks of? It says in verse 25, it says, After the same manner he took the cup, and when he had supped, said, This cup is the new testament or new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is the promise that God made to himself completely and eternally to save all people who believe in Jesus. And there are four parts to this new covenant. One, it is the promise of total, complete, and total forgiveness. Let me read this to you from Hebrews chapter 8, 
verse 12. Well, let me back up. I want to read beginning in verse 10. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall uh, not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, and no, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from least to the greatest. And listen to this. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. Their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. So the first part of the new covenant is total forgiveness of sin. The second part is that of a new heart, which we see in Ezekiel 36 and Hebrews 8.10. Ezekiel 36, we're told that God replaces, take, He removes our heart of stone, replaces it with a heart of flesh. And in Hebrews, what did, he, what did we just read? He writes His laws upon our heart. So total forgiveness of sin, a new heart, and freedom from the old covenant. And adoption, the fourth thing, adoption as His children, which we see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So the new covenant is the gospel of grace inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? We see it in verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. The purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper is for the perpetual. That means continuous. That means ongoing. For the ongoing remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus in His death. Jesus, as our high priest, did not sacrifice an animal, but rather he sacrificed himself. He is our eternal high priest and also the Lamb of God. In the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we remember the sacrifice that our high priest made, not of an animal, but of himself. And only Jesus Christ could offer himself as a sacrifice. No other priest could have put him upon an altar. Only he was worthy to offer that sacrifice as he made it very clear in John chapter 10, verse 17. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life down so that I might take it up again. No man has the power to take my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. And while Jesus hung upon that cross, he was mocked. Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, we hear the mockings and the cries of the people who were there at the cross. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And if he does, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. At any moment. Jesus Christ could have stopped their mouths. He could have stopped the mouths of those that were snickering at Him. Those that were mocking Him. He could have stopped their mouths. He could have come down from that cross. He could have called an audible and said, No, I'm not going through with this. He could have healed Himself, opened up the earth beneath the ground of the, uh, of the feet of the people that were mocking Him, swallowed them all up in hell. But if He had done that, you and I would still be in our sin. He was the, mouth, he was the Lamb who did not open His mouth and was silent before his shears. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Now, the New Covenant had four points to it. The Lord's Supper has three dimensions to it with respect to time. There's the past, the present, and the future. Our Lord commanded His disciples in the upper room not to forget the past. He was getting ready to die the next day, but pretty soon that was going to be in the past. It's to the past to us. Scripture and the Lord's Supper are synonymous. Scripture is read when the supper is observed. We usually read from this passage when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Others may read from Isaiah 53. Some may read from the crucifixion narratives in the Gospels. Some may read the celebration of the Lamb that was slain in Revelation 5. But the Word calls our attention to what was accomplished by Jesus in the cross. The Scripture readings focus our thinking as we commune to make sure that we remember what Jesus did. So in, in, in the Lord's Supper, there is a looking back. And we are also to look ahead. We look to the future when we observe the Lord's Supper. Look again what it says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. This is a reference to a future meal. This meal is a meal of remembrance, but it's also a meal of preparation. It's a meal of remembrance, but also a meal of preparation because one day, every born again child of God will be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Glory to God. So the Lord's Supper is a look to the past and it's also a look to the future. While we remember what Christ has done for us in the past, we also look ahead to what He has promised to do for us in the future. And then there's also a present element in the supper. The church also believes that Christ is truly present here and now meeting with His people in a special way. How? By His Spirit. There is a present reality that we experience with Him and with each other when we celebrate the Lord's table. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's remembering His death for our sins. It's looking forward to His imminent return and reign. And it is acknowledging that He is here presently with us. What does Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 say? For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there I am in their midst. Point number two, the ominous. Point number two, the ominous. Look what it says in verse 27. Wherefore, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Now look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And look at verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. So we must ask this question. Who may partake of the Lord's Supper? This meal is not for everyone. Not everyone may partake of the Lord's Supper. This meal is not for unbelievers. This meal is not for an unbeliever. If an unbeliever were to be present with us, thank God there are other things that that person could be doing. We would want them to come and talk to us before, uh, um, after the service. Come talk to me and let me show you how you can be cleansed of your sin from the scripture, how you can be cleansed of your sin, how you can be made right with God, how you can be granted everlasting life. But until then, this meal is not for you. 
This meal is also not for children that are not yet walking with the Lord. The Lord's Supper is not a teaching tool. It is a sacred ordinance only for the truly regenerate. But who can partake of it? I want to read to you from Acts chapter 8 of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You recall Philip was um, and the Ethiopian eunuch crossed paths. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, and saying, Arise and go toward the south under the way that goeth down uh, from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's riding in a chariot and he's reading the old, an Old Testament scroll. He's reading Isaiah. What chapter? He's reading Isaiah 53. He's reading about how the Lord was pierced through for our transgressions, how he was bruised for our iniquities. And he doesn't understand it. He's reading and he doesn't know how to connect the dots. So we're told that he comes upon Philip Verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him and said, I heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said unto him, understand thou what you're reading? He's like, do you understand what it is that you're reading? And Philip begins to connect the dots for them. Verse 35 of Acts 8 says, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Right then and there in that chariot, he gives uh, the Ethiopian eunuch the gospel. He connects the dots from the law to the gospel and shows that eunuch how he had sinned against God, but how he could be made right through Jesus. And look at what happens in verse 36. It says, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is the water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The, the eunuch is asking, what would keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, and, uh, Philip says, in uh, verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. If you believe with all your heart. And, he, and the, the eunuch answered him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And right then and there, they pulled that chariot over and Philip baptized him. So what must a person do in order to be baptized? Believe with all thine heart that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God. And with that belief and confession of Jesus, we've talked about this for several weeks, means that you believe and confess the very same things that the Bible says about Jesus. You believe and that you confess what Jesus says. It means that you are in agreement with what He says. It means that you're in agreement with what He says, particularly about sin. One cannot profess belief and faith in Jesus and embrace and celebrate the very sin that put Jesus on the cross. So the same applies to the Lord's Supper. Who may partake of the Lord's Supper? Those who believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who is worthy to partake? On the surface, none of us. None of us. No one is worthy to come to the table. All of us are sinners. 
Just as it is in terms of eternal salvation, no one is worthy to stand before God on their own merits. We are all guilty as charged. We are all sinners. We are all unworthy. The only way we can be made right with God is to have someone be perfect for us. And that is the Lord Jesus. So in verse 27, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that it is a real possibility that a Christian can come in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It means their life does not match the profession of faith in Jesus Christ that they make. To come in an unworthy manner means to come without humility of heart. It means to come without repenting of sin. It means to come without acknowledging and confessing our sin to God. It means to come without the proper attitude of reverence toward God and a sense of sobriety as we take our salvation and our Savior very seriously. It means to come without an attitude of gratitude. To come in an unworthy manner means that we would come without soul searching. It means that we would come without self-inspection, without being focused on the death of Christ. It means to come without our hearts being in tune to the Lord. It means to come with our minds someplace else and our priorities someplace else. Paul is not demanding sinless perfection here. But we are to come in humility of heart in pursuit of personal holiness as we are aware of our sin, as we are aware of the sin in our lives and having confessed our sin and repented of that sin. Self-examination is what is required of every professing Christian as we come to the Lord's table. Please note what Paul says at the end of verse 27. He says, if we come to the table and partake of the sacred elements that represent the death of Jesus in an unworthy manner, we are guilty. Guilty means to be charged with a crime, to be held liable for an offense and subject to punishment. So those who come to the table in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. Could you imagine a more serious offense to be tried by the high court of heaven than to be found guilty of the body and blood of the Lord? What does that mean? To be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord means to take one's place with those that were crying out for the crucifixion of Jesus. It means to join one's voice with those who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It means to be guilty of participation of nailing his body to the cross to come to the lord's table in an unworthy manner is to be guilty of the very death that we're supposed to be proclaiming folks i say again it does not get much more serious than this for the believer in the house of the lord look again what it says in verse 29 to the one who does not examine themselves the one who comes with a with superficiality, the person who abuses or perverts the Lord's table eats and drinks judgment to himself. But look what it says. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we we should not be judged. So either you judge yourself or you will be judged. Judge or you will be judged. Either you judge yourself and take the appropriate steps of repentance or you will be judged by the Lord himself. That is what the Lord is saying in this verse. 
It is better for you and I to judge ourselves and to acknowledge our sin to Christ as we come to the Lord's table than to hide, than to try to hide our sin from God, which we cannot do. And then the Lord be forced to judge our sin. If we try to cover up our sin, God's going to bring it to light. For what is whispered in the closets will be shouted from the rooftops. God will bring it to light and God will deal with it. But if we bring our sin to light with God, then he will cover our sin with the blood of Christ. If a person decides not to deal with their sin and to pervert the Lord's table, that person will be submitted to God's subsequent judgment. Look what it says in verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For this cause... For the cause that a person did not examine themselves, a person did not test themselves, a person did not confess their sin to God, many at that church were weak. Many were sick. And it says some sleep, which means that some had died. What is Paul? What Paul is saying here is that many members of the church at Corinth had died because of their carnality had died because of their abuse of the Lord's table. They, have not, they had not ex- uh, come and examined their lives. Instead, in their coming, they have been flippant, irreverent, superficial, and no soul work, no soul searching had, been taken, had taken place. So let me put this question to you. Would God take the life of a believer prematurely due to sin in one's life? Yep. Absolutely. I give you two examples, one, in the, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The Old Testament, we look at Moses. Moses was God's man, led the Hebrew people from Egypt out into the wilderness, was supposed to lead them to the land of milk and honey, was supposed to lead them to uh, the, the promised land. Moses had led the people of God for 40 years in the wilderness, and God had, was judging that generation of people and said that they would not be permitted to enter into the Holy Land until that generation had died off. So they marched around in a circle for 40 years. And Moses had become weary and he had become out. He, he had lost his patience with the Israelites as well. And Moses, in an impatient expression of anger and frustration, Moses struck the rock. And God told Moses that because he struck that rock, Moses could not enter into the promised land either. And right before the Israelites were permitted to go into the Holy Land, that generation had died off. And right before they're, getting, they're, they're told to enter into the Holy Land, God tells Moses, you go up in the mountain. You'll only see that, that, that Holy Land from afar off, but you will not enter in. You go up into that mountain, and that's where you're going to die. Because Moses had crossed the line with God. In the New Testament, we are reminded of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They lied to the Holy Spirit after pledging to give an amount of land to the work of God and to the church. They had made a commitment. They had made a commitment. And when they held back a portion, uh, they were thus lying to the Holy Spirit. And on separate occasions, both of them were questioned about it. And And both of them, when they were put on the spot, they both lied. And we're told that they weren't just lying to their fellow churchmen. He says, what caused you to lie to the Holy Spirit? For you have not lied unto men, but to God. Both of them dropped dead right on the spot. 
Swiss theologian Oscar Coleman said that the most neglected verse in the whole New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. Some scholars believe that the meaning of 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, which we will get to eventually, where it talks about a thing called the sin, a sin unto death. The text says there is a sin unto death, and John says, I don't pray for it. So some scholars believe that the meaning of 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 through 17 is that God will not send Christians to hell who misused and abused the Lord's Supper, but he just might take their lives. This is a very sobering text of Scripture. If people celebrate the most sacred of activities in the church and they do it in an inappropriate way, they expose themselves to the possible judgment of God. Point number three, we see the opportunity in verses 28, 31 through 32. So what must we do? After considering the sobriety of this truth, should we just avoid the table altogether? No. No. It is such a privilege to partake of the Lord's Supper. We just need to do so in the manner that Jesus commands and that Jesus deserves. Each born-again child of God must test themselves before they come to the table. Look what it says in verse 28. But let a man examine himself. Let a person examine themselves before they come to the table. In order to come to the Lord's table in, a, in an acceptable manner, you and I must search our hearts. There's no getting around this and there's no exception to the rule. We must put ourselves to the test. We must ask ourselves, what is the status of my relationship with the Lord? Have I left my first love? Have I grown lukewarm towards Jesus? Am I growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I becoming a little too comfortable with a certain sin? Am I denying myself and truly taking my cross and following Jesus daily? Have I allowed anything to replace Jesus as the first place in my life? Do I still at this moment recognize Him as the Lord of my life? Is there a tenderness in my heart towards the Lord? Am I spending time in His Word? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I truly acknowledging on an ongoing basis my sin to Him? Am I serving His people? Do I make excuses as to why I can't come to worship? Or do I use worship as an excuse for why I can't go to other things? We must examine ourselves and our relationship to the Lord. But at the same time, we should also examine our relationships to one another. We need to ask ourselves, is there anyone that I must go and seek out their forgiveness? Is there a wrong that I need to try to make right? This too is part of the examination of our faith. We must put our lives under the interrogation light of God's holy word as we come to the Lord's table. There must be an intense examination of the inventory of our hearts toward the Lord. We must look into our souls and we must repent of any and all sin. 
That's why it's so important to come to the Lord's table. We've been talking in our series in 1 John about how the people of God are a people that confess their sin, yes, when they're saved, yes, when they're regenerated and birthed into the family of God, but they keep on confessing. Confession becomes a way of life. And the Lord's Supper helps us in that confession. It forces us to get real with the Lord, and it forces us to get real about our sin. So as we come to the table... Let's do those four things. Let's look back to what the bread symbolizes in his broken body. Let's look back as to what that cup represents in his shed blood. Let's remember that he died. For that is one of the hallmarks of the gospel. For Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He had to die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus had to die. So we also need to look back and we need to remember how he died. He gave his body willingly to wicked men. And he bore on his body the sins of the world. And we need to look ahead. We need to look ahead to his future return and to that future marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we need to look within. We need to look within and we need to examine our hearts. And we also need to look around. We don't need to look around and criticizing other believers, but in order to discern the Lord's body. The supper should be a demonstration of the unity within the church. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. And the Lord desires that his children love one another and care for one another. And it is impossible for a true Christian to get closer to his Lord while at the same time he is separated from his or her fellow believers. So the Lord's Supper is indeed a sober time in which we examine ourselves. But it's also a time of thanksgiving, a time of remembrance and giving thanks for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and anticipation of what he is going to do. Jesus gave thanks even though he was about to suffer and die. So let's you and I give thanks because he suffered and died. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to come to your table. God, now in the moments that we have that lead up to this sacred privilege, help us, Lord, to examine ourselves. Help us, Lord, to confess and to repent of anything that would separate us from you. Anything that might would keep us from approaching the table unworthily. All, those we, all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.